Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. show and our MLS and Americans in Action Roundup Spectacular. On today's show, we're looking at the latest news and moves in Major League Soccer. We're checking in on US stars making progress across the pond, and we're opening up the mailbag, aren't we? Joining me to do so, Mr. Taylor Rocco, who just told us moments before we came on air that he's wearing sweatpants and it's trippy digis in Richmond today. Good choice, Taylor. I actually told you I am not wearing sweatpants anymore. You all got to see the beauty of that one just before we started recording. Yeah, it's way too hot in Richmond uh, for sweatpants to be a thing. And I realized we're probably going to be talking for like an hour for this one. And I did not want to be uncomfortable for an entire hour. Uh, Though talking about coaches getting fired and going in depth on uh, Major League Soccer does sometimes make me slightly uncomfortable. Joe is here, though, to make it that much more palatable. Joe Larry is here. Hello, Joe. Are you uh, I can't believe masking this at the top of the podcast, but are you pantless right now? I have shorts on. I want to make it clear to the listener. I did not witness Taylor taking off his pants. Ryan, I don't know if you did and you no. just kept quiet. No. Uh, I was I was doing other things, being a professional, getting ready for the show. You know, we were making a nice little chat before we started. Everything was good. And now Taylor drops this bomb on us. I don't even know what to think anymore, Ryan. Is that what you call it? Is that euphemism for something, Joe? <laughs> Goodness me. Um, we have started off on a note. <laughs> like most of Taylor's pants are the ones where you rip them off like, like party yeah. boy. You pull them from the front. Is that right, mm-hmm. Taylor? So that he, he may have uh, done it very quickly without us noticing, Joe. I mean, it's a, it's a thing I have specifically done with every set of pants from like tuxedo. You got to be able to tear those away to warm up to so everything in between. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a nice feature, especially when you've got the, uh, the 101 degree days outside. Indeed, those long summer days drawing to a close post-Labor Day. Wonderful times we live in, Taylor. Supposedly. Uh, Plenty of American soccer to get to. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show, by the way, if you want more bonus content. We're doing plenty of bonus podcasts, videos, um, puzzles. uh, There's animals. (laughs) No, I made up the last few, but there's loads of good stuff. A Discord as well. Very active community. Uh, Do join us if you'd like to support us in that manner. Let's get to the news in MLS, shall we, Joe Lowry? Big news coming out of Colorado. Robin Fraser out at the Rapids after four seasons and after a five-game losing streak with the team rock bottom of the West, 10 points adrift. Joe, my opening question for you, why now and why not a while ago? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is a very fair question, Ryan. I think the answer is everybody even in Colorado knows that Robin Fraser wasn't the real problem. Not that he's getting off scot-free here, but I think the reality is if Robin Frazier had been the actual problem, he would have been gone quite some time ago. The fact that he's gone with a handful of games left in the season speaks to, well, we want to say face a little bit publicly. I used the phrase, put lipstick on a pig yesterday when talking about this. I think that plays a part here. And then also getting a little bit of a head start for the regular season after you realize, okay, we're not going to make the playoffs this year for next year's regular season, I should say. We're not going to make the playoffs this year. I think that is crystallized for Colorado recently. A lot of this to me feels like similar discussions that happened around the Portland Timbers firing Gio Savarese, which I believe, Ryan, you and I talked about on a recent episode. The, the timing of all this is fuzzy for me. Ryan is nodding his head and saying, I did. So that, that is good. No coach, the reality is no coach was going to have sustained success with this team. And, and with Portland, you know, maybe there's a little bit more talent there, but the reality is Gio Savarese wasn't the problem in Portland. That squad is not good enough and has not transitioned well enough from an era where they had legitimate stars in this league to now when the Portland Timbers do not have that. And the same goes for Colorado, except maybe even without the stars that were there before. There's just not enough talent in this squad. Yeah, You'd like a coach to get a little bit more out of some of the pieces that are here. Cole Bassett is a nice MLS piece. Connor Ronan's a nice MLS piece. They have some nice pieces further along the back line. Diego Rubio went healthy. Jack Price was injured like a month into the season. It's not an easy set of cards to be dealt. Uh, I don't think Robin Frazier exactly colored himself, covered himself in glory post-2021. 
But I mean, this team just does not spend or does not use the, the limited resources they have in an effective way. So that that's sort of my big picture thought. It's a really difficult job for anyone coming in to fill Robin Frazier's shoes. Not that Frazier did a great job, but man, this team has a lot of problems that span well outside of the head coaching role. And Joe is obviously the the expert here, but I, I agree with with largely everything Joe said. It was interesting to me that there were multiple threads on different MLS reddits about like, would, should we hire Robin Fraser? Like, like Toronto wondering if they should hire him. Portland wondering if they should hire him. It does feel to me like he is a coach who will get other opportunities and really isn't the problem with Colorado, but is a problem with this season for Colorado. And I understand all of the logic that Joe just went through about why you sort of get rid of him at this point in the season, and yet it still seems a little bit silly, but when you're talking about a team that are on pace to score, I believe, 21 goals if they if they keep it up at their current pace. Uh, they've been shut out nine of the last 10. Uh, they are last in the league, as Ryan said in the intro. I think it, it does feel sort of like, okay, we've got to do something, and we're not going to sell the team or anything like that. We're not going to clear out the front office, at least not in the middle of the season, so... We'll part ways with the head coach. Even if things don't change, it feels like we're making changes and yeah. then we can kind of figure things out in the offseason. But it's definitely not a a good position for Colorado to be in. But let's me forget, I went back and looked at my preview notes uh, when we when we did the season preview and I was really worried about Colorado. It felt like they had sort of rolled the dice on a lot of players who, if they didn't come good, were going to make them a not very good team. And that seems like exactly where we are. And so a lot of the coverage I also saw was like, but this is a Colorado team that has three DPs and two young DPs. And they they have spent money, they have invested. But then you look at the conditions of how they get Kevin Cabral and and how it's sort of like, oh, the Galaxy are sort of subsidizing that one. Like it, it doesn't end up being that they've signed three DPs who are going to be no. clear difference makers. They have not really gone for the messy Busquets Alba sort of situation with their three DPs. And I think that also shows sort of how this roster has been built and why there are problems where there are. Well, they should just well, do in, that and get, get messy and Busquets. And oh, that would be, right? is that, is I, mean, that the I don't see, I think so. I think every team should probably just do that. I, I'm assuming that there are, how many teams do we have? Like 108? 108 different Lionel Messi's to play in Major League Soccer. Why not? That's correct. They've just yeah. been slower to hold their own like press conferences in Spain <laughs> yeah. to announce that they're coming before anybody actually knows it. <laughs> the, the, the thing you hit on there, Taylor, about the spend and the lack of top quality DPs, I've seen some Rapids fans say that they don't have real DPs, which I think is a good way to put it, right? It's like these players are listed as designated players, but in yeah. Navarro and in Cabral, they're they're not really that kind of difference maker, uh, at least not, the, not in the same way that other teams have difference makers. Their third DP is a center back, right? So I think you see some of the challenges there. <laughs> yeah. I want to push back on, on just the note around spending for the Rapids. Not that you were going in on this, Taylor, but this is just kind of a general theme that even I fall into at times. The Rapids do not spend money, to be clear. So they've, they've spent the fourth least on their salary based off of data from the MLSPA over the last three seasons combined. So that excludes, to be clear, Charlotte and St. Louis, who have not been in the league for three seasons. But if you take those teams out, Colorado has spent the fourth least on their salary budget in all of Major League Soccer. The Cronkies don't want to spend. The Cronkies don't want to go out there and get Messi and Alba and Busquets. They want to go out and have this be something that loses as little money as possible from year to year and maintains value as a long-term investment. At least that certainly seems to be the case. The thing is, you can still win in Major League Soccer. You can still be relevant in Major League Soccer without spending money. Like This is the conversation every time the MLSPA data comes out is teams like Toronto are blowing the doors off the spending, and they're terrible. Colorado are last in the spoon race, but Toronto, guess what? They're second to last right now. You can spend a lot of money in MLS and be really bad in Major League Soccer. You can spend a little money in MLS and be very good in Major League Soccer. One of the teams that's below the Rapids in the salary data, based off of spending over the last three seasons, is the Philadelphia Union. And guess what? Every single year... The Philadelphia Union are making a run in some continental competition. They're finishing high up, if not at the top of the Eastern Conference. You can be a good team in Major League Soccer by going out and being efficient. Like, the Union have set the tone. They are the model team at doing that kind of stuff. Orlando has spent less than the Colorado Rapids over the last three seasons on salary. They spent more on transfer fees. But to prove a point, you don't have to go out there and break the bank. You just have to go out there and do your job. And this is where I look more to Porrick Smith, who's the club president at the Colorado Rapids. He's been in that role since 2018. He's been the top executive, excuse me, since 2018, and has been with the club since 2015 when he joined as sporting director. There have been really high highs for this Rapids team. 2021, winning the West, was an amazing season for them. But for this club, they have not shown 
consistently under Smith an ability to compete and outkick their coverage like other MLS teams that spend at a similar or, or maybe even slightly above rate, but generally in the same stratosphere, have been able to do either in different spots in the West or over in the Eastern Conference with the Union. That, for me, not leaning all the way into the academy, not maximizing their ability to find value in MLS and seemingly going to Michael Barrios year after year after year, like that that's a problem. If you're not going to spend, at least you have to nail those other things. And frankly, the Rapids just have not done that. Joe, I'm going to ask a question now that I feel like if I asked uh, allocation disorder, were it still around, I would be met with like, duh. R.I.P. But my, my question for you is, you said the Cronkies basically don't want to be, they don't like spending, they want to lose as little as possible while maintaining the value. Is the idea that, that like they are eyeing long-term a sale once the value of the, the team reaches the desired amount? Like, Is that what they're going for, or is it just about sort of having a professional soccer franchise but not putting much money into it? I don't know the answer to that question, Taylor. I also I respect the 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 ability of yours to take notes at rapid fire fashion. I say things sometimes and don't know what I say, and it's always terrifying for for me to have you read it back to me word for word. <laughs> that's well done on your part. I don't know, Taylor. Truthfully, the Cronkies. It seems like that's what they're trying to do because they've never shown a real willingness to turn this team into something more than it is, right? Mm-hmm. Their their stadium is not one of the best in Major League Soccer. Their roster is not one of the best in Major League Soccer. How they spend on other aspects of the club seems to pale in comparison to most teams in the league. It seems, as an outsider, that they are trying to put as little in as possible while still having this thing churn over year over year over year. And maybe that is a fun toy, but I don't I don't know if the Cronkies even yeah. go to Colorado Rapids games. They've got Arsenal to go to, so I don't know <laughs> what the end goal is. The only thing I can imagine is that they're just sitting back watching this thing get more and more valuable while Inter-Miami and Atlanta United and LAFC do the heavy lifting for Major League Soccer and lift everybody up by their bootstraps slowly year after year. You mentioned them owning Arsenal there, also own the Avalanche and I believe the Nuggets as well. And another thing that that I saw kind of consistently was people saying, oh, they don't spend money. Oh, they refuse to spend money. They never want to. And a lot of Arsenal supporters coming in pointing out, like, they, they, they spend some money. <laughs> they are willing to spend. And I think the idea that I sort of buy into is that when the team shows, like, oh, sh- they are showing promise. There, There is development here with a little bit of spend or a lot bit of spend in Arsenal's case. We can win an NBA championship or we can challenge for the Premier League. And I think then they will spend. The idea then becomes like, well, what about when Colorado finished first in the West? Why wasn't there a ton of investment there? And I think that does get to the idea that maybe there is an uh, an okayness with treading water and seeing yeah. how the league develops. And I think to maybe go a circuitous route here, we have that question all the time about how do you make the regular season matter more? Why doesn't the regular season matter? If you're only about the playoffs, why not shorten the season? Whatever it may be, I think ownership mentality like this is part of the problem that if you don't have people sort of gunning for the top spot really trying to not even just outspend but outdevelop other teams and make your team as competitive as possible from the jump uh, then I think you're gonna see some games that are just dull and people aren't gonna be excited to tune in to watch their team play Colorado it feels like ah it's one I can skip when you have everybody sort of fighting tooth and nail as you do in other leagues and yes Prorel is part of that but I think also ownership that have vested interest and a strong interest in their team competing goes a long way towards making teams competitive and fun to watch. So I I also think that's where the ownership is frustrating to me that we have a team that could be really exciting that has been exciting in the past, but certainly isn't this season. Yeah, that is a bit depressing that there are one or two teams in this league due to the structure of the league and the nature of the increasing values are basically treating it as a passive investment. Well, yeah. uh, not the best. It doesn't sound like we're painting rainbows and flowers for the future no. of the Rapids show at the moment. What's what, what happens next? I mean, I think the first item on the to-do list is now finding a new manager. But as I said earlier, I would probably look broader and see if there are larger structural changes or personnel changes to be made higher up in the front office. Those things need to be evaluated. And I would hope that this is a period between now and the rest of the season. This year's over for the Rapids. Nothing matters at this point other than maybe getting out of the wooden spoon spot. But... Who cares, right? At this point, honestly, who cares? So I would say you take a breath. You look at everything that you're doing as a club. You look back to the academy. You look at hiring and replacing personnel in the front office and and certainly on the coaching side of things. And you try to, in the offseason, tap into as many resources in Major League Soccer as possible. Again, revamping that academy system and try to bring more players through there between now and the end of this season and beyond. And hope that you can find a recipe that others in MLS have found and used to turn into consistent success over the last X number of years. 
My, my one thought, and this, again, comes from a position of ignorance, so maybe this has already been discussed ad nauseum, but like this is the same Colorado Rapids that sell Austin Trusty to Arsenal. Cronky owns both of those, and part of the multi-club ownership strategy that we've talked about previously on different episodes is that you can have that sort of fluidity of player movement. And I don't think people would love to be an Arsenal feeder club necessarily, but I feel like more connection between the two and more young Arsenal players going on loan for a season in Colorado. Like I think that generates interest. If you have a lot of Arsenal supporters, which every city in the country seems to like, you're going to get people out there to see younger players. And I think if there's more connection, if there's more possibility of players moving, I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And that also doesn't thing feel like a thing that has been capitalized upon necessarily. I think some of their signings have been smart and I think there is sort of, value in in the players that they brought in Uh, but I think overall it just hasn't been uh, wise enough in terms of building the team but then also generating interest in that team and I think uh, utilizing that connection between the two would would go at least some distance towards doing that all right elsewhere in MLS let's go to Barcelona Mabadou Fowl has made a a move on loan to uh, Catalonia from LAFC Uh, it's his second loan spell in Spain after a Villarreal stint as well Taylor did we see this one coming is it is it good I think it's good I'm excited to hear what Joe has to say this feels similar to uh, uh, Julian Araujo moving from the Galaxy to Barcelona B I think he's now been promoted to the senior team. I don't know if he's been registered. He's on loan. Thank you. There we go. Uh, but I, I, this feels like another one where uh, Mamadou Fall goes on loan. I think there is the option to buy. So my guess is that he will be with Barcelona B. They're going to gauge his development because it feels like they're, he has, what I understand, a very, very high ceiling, but does also have some things that kind of have thus far limited him from making that jump, becoming that sort of complete defender uh, that maybe Barcelona would be looking for. And so this feels like a smart move for him as a player to go in there, play with Barcelona B, get the reps, but also get the development in that prestigious of a situation, uh, and then ideally make that jump and that move becomes permanent. But if not, then he comes back with more experience and having learned a little bit. It feels like it makes a lot of sense to me. Joe, uh, how wrong am I on this one? No, I think you're right. I, to, to peel back the curtain, I put this in the dock because I just love Mamadou Falls so, so much. He is... And I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. He is the best, most talented center back, let me put it that way, that I've ever seen set foot in Major League Soccer. He is absolutely I mean, Matt incredible. Matt with you, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. I think that's, that's, uh, I think that's something I can handle. 20-year-old Senegal center back, uh, really kind of crazy path to LAFC in the first place from Senegal, ends up in Florida, uh, spotted by Kenny Arena at some sort of camp, or I don't know what that thing was, ends up in L.A., Goes to Las Vegas Lights in USL, then comes to LA and really has some success for them. Ryan, you mentioned that Villarreal stint. Didn't go particularly well for him. Made one appearance for the senior team, a lot of appearances for their second team. I don't know really what happened there, but I would imagine there was more going on with the timing of that move and some of the other elements that weren't ideal because he is really, really good. Now, has some room to improve his defending, which is where minutes with Barca B will come into play. That is where he's going to start out. But guys, it would not surprise me at all if it's, oh, I don't know, March or April or something along those lines. And we are seeing Mamadou Fall play for Barcelona's first team in either a La Liga game and some sort of a cup game. He is absolutely phenomenal. And I think Barcelona, as long as they don't have to pull the 50th lever to make this happen, I would imagine they're going to make this deal permanent after he's been there for this year. The loan runs through June of next year. And we're going to see this guy popping up in a level like the Champions League for the foreseeable future. Joe, I'm setting a reminder. Uh, scrolling to March. March, what do we want to say? Mid-March is when yeah, I'll March check 15th. with you? Yeah, March 15th. I don't know. March 15th sounds March good. March 15th. It's a Friday. The uh, Ides of March. Okay, March. Very Shakespearean. Oh, yes, yes. All right, Mamadou Fall check-in. I'm putting that in the notes, and we will uh, revisit this one in a few months and see how things have gone. Love you it. could say, Mamadou Fall, colon, is he still registered? Or is he registered? <laughs> we, shall, uh, we shall see. I mean, right that. now I'm still struggling with my phone uh, trying to correct Mamadou to Mama Soy. Not sure what to make of that one. You'll know uh, what it but... means, Taylor. You'll know what it means. <laughs> yeah. Soy right. bien. Very now good. We're good. Now we're good. All right, good stuff. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go take a look at some American exports in Europe. Back shortly. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's take a look at some Americans in action, shall we? Tater, who you been watching lately? Serginho Dest, who you can now actually watch play soccer for the first time in a very long time. And it doesn't sort of feel like he's playing one game and then the coach is just shaking his head on the sideline and then we don't see Serginho Dest anymore, as has been the case at both Barcelona and Milan. Uh, With PSV, he has started, I believe, all three games since he made that move, including... Uh, games against Rangers that qualified them for the Champions League. Them being PSV, Rangers did not. Um, but it's nice to see him, and, and it's nice to see him doing a lot of attacking, as is expected. Uh, but it's not just the sort of mazy dribbles. He's done a few of those. I saw him do a lot of quick combinations, one and two touch passing. But like uh, he has one where the ball comes into him from the right center back. He's playing on the right back uh, at right back in this one. And he has the little like Travella flick with the outside of his foot to a center midfielder. He peels off and and runs uh, down the line and gets the ball back uh, and then has a nice dribble, ends up with a cross that isn't particularly well hit. But it's sort of a varied approach to his attacking play. And it's just nice to see him look confident. That's the biggest thing is watching him on the ball. There is more of a belief and there's less trepidation. There's less hesitation. I think there's less. If I mess this up, I'm probably going to be benched. And so to see him unleashed, I guess, is the best way to put it. It's just a refreshing reminder of how good he can be when he gets involved in the attack. Yeah, definitely. So it definitely seems to be first choice at PSV. There was a point, Taylor, in the most recent game against Valvik, a 4-0 win. Uh, apologies if I'm pronouncing that wildly incorrectly, but there was a point where like Desk, Malik Tillman and Ricardo Pepe were all on the field at the same time. 27% American team there, Joe. America's team. There it is. That's what I love to see. I mean, it really is. PSV and AC Milan both this year are are kind of must-watches for USMNT fans. PSV will be a bit slower to turn into that, I think, in terms of players getting on the field consistently. Ricardo Pepe still has to find his way with Luke de Jong eating up a lot of minutes at the number nine spot. Malik Tillman is still kind of wading his way into this team. But it's good to see Desk come in and really seize minutes. Taylor, I love how you emphasize that because that's been a problem. It's, it's felt like we can never rely on Serginho Desk playing soccer in any given moment on a weekend. And now with PSV, they went out, they identified him as a player that they wanted. He can play on the right, he can play on the left. That helps certainly but he is just a player that is very much at this level, if not above it. And so it's good to see him immediately come in, get minutes, and start making an impact for them. Yeah, as to the level and maybe being above it, that is the thing that I kept sort of thinking about with PSV is like, is it a nice thing to be back in the Netherlands playing for a big team in in the Netherlands? Or given that you come through Ajax and then you have these huge clubs in Bayern Munich and Barcelona interested in you, is it a feeling of like, ooh, things have not gone well? But it does, it feels to me more so like an opportunity for him to kind of find his footing again, remind everybody what he is capable of, and then ideally either stay there and it goes well, or make a move to somewhere where they are utilizing his talents well. Uh, two other things to note on what I've seen from him with BSV, uh, Joe, you mentioned it there, has played at right back, has also started at left back. So they're definitely using him in, in different roles at different times. And I really enjoy how they seem to be utilizing him when it comes to transitioning to defense. Like... Calling it human wave defending is probably a little bit unfair, but it seems to be like the defensive approach is just slow the opposition team down so they don't punish us on the counter, however that may be. And so it doesn't feel like he has to get into the exact right position, then move out and cover somebody, then switch to to like marking in between two people. It feels like it's immediately apply pressure. And if you concede a foul, you concede a foul. If you make the player dribble out of bounds, that's great. If they dribble past you, but they've had to slow down and maybe like find a pass and then receive, 
delaying that initial attack seems to be the goal with how PSV want to defend uh, in that transition to defense. And so I think that's another thing that I feel like Sergio Dest is very good at is using that speed to get back into a, into a place where he can theoretically make a play or at the very least slow down that attack. And that seems to, again, to be playing into his strengths. Wonderful stuff. And to answer your initial question, Taylor, yes, it is good to be in the Netherlands in general. Yeah, Wonderful place to be. Wonderful <laughs> place to be. Um, why don't we talk, Taylor, about Tanner Tessman, who has... By my count, let's see, two T's, four N's, two S's, so many multiple letters in his name. A, a great handle is what I'm getting at here. Uh, still playing for the Italian fashion brand Venezia down in Serie B now, uh, along with Gianluca Busio, of course. Uh, got the winning goal over Sampdoria last week and apparently was on Lazio's radar over the mm. summer. Uh, most of my notes for Tanner Tessman were about the numbers of consonants and vowels in his name. So really, Ryan, you've done a lot of the heavy lifting for me. Uh, yeah, I was, I watched him sort of out of curiosity because I don't particularly have a, t- a ton of enthusiasm for Italian second division soccer, but I liked what I saw from Tanner Tessman. I know, shocking, right, Joe? Uh, especially that goal you mentioned it against Sampdoria. Uh, for people who haven't seen it, which I'm guessing is most people, uh, he's taking it from about like 35 yards out and it's from kind of the right half space so when I first saw him set up knowing it was going to be a goal because I knew the minute I knew he scored I was assuming it was going to be one of those he's kind of hitting across in nobody gets to it the keeper's frozen and it just finds its way into the side netting nope he hits it to the keeper's near post and knows exactly what he's doing bends it in really well and I highlight that just to say that he will be with the U.S. in this upcoming camp with these upcoming friendlies if there's an opportunity for him to take a set piece, don't be surprised if he has a crack on goal, maybe because he wants to show what he can do in, in set piece delivery. So maybe we'll see him taking corners. Maybe it's a free kick. Who knows? But it was one thing that I didn't really know he had in his game that does make me more excited to see him. Aside from that, it was about what I expected from Tanner Tessman. It's him playing centrally. Sometimes uh, the deepest of the midfielders, oftentimes the deepest of the midfielders, regularly dropping in between the two center backs when Venezia are in possession or when they're trying to build out. Uh, He does a lot of scrappy defending, concedes some fouls, although it didn't feel like they were over-the-top fouls. It felt like he just gets physical and has a bigger frame, so sometimes he knocks people out of the way. They look clean to me. I feel like they're in the championship. That would be considered a a fine and even maybe a soft challenge, but I guess in Serie B, it's a... It's a foul. But he also uh, looked competent on the ball. He moved it quickly, but then on occasion would go on some runs and draw fouls and I think had more uh, moose maneuverability than I expected. So it made me excited to see him uh, with the U.S. in this camp to see what he can bring, if we see him at all. But at the very least, I think the camp itself will be a good opportunity for Greg Berhalter to gauge his level and see where he fits into that depth chart. Taylor, Tanner Tessman obviously has a lot of physical abilities, right? You mentioned some of those things. He's strong. He's a big dude, a really powerful leg. I guess this is an awkward, weird way to say that, but it's true, right? <laughs> you see that with some of the set pieces. What, for you, after having yeah. watched some of this footage, needs to improve for him to become a player who's not in the Italian second division? I would say tidiness on the ball, both in terms of control and in his passing. It felt like there were times that I saw where he was just kind of content to go with I might have somebody on me. The ball's bouncing into me. My back's to goal. I'm just going to do the kind of like lifted ball over my head and hope that it goes somewhere. Or he would go for maybe like headers uh, backwards when he could have gone for like a more difficult flicked on header out wide. It didn't feel like he was sort of being as deliberate in possession as he could have been. And I think that would be really useful, certainly for, for Venezia, but also for the United States to have somebody in that number six spot or in a more holding midfield spot who can slow the game down, Uh, maybe take a touch out of pressure and then find a pass. I don't think we need somebody who's going to be just sort of rushing passes and trying to get rid. I don't think we need somebody who's dropping in between the center backs and playing lateral passes. I think a little more dynamism to his control and ability to turn and then play forward would make me very happy. All right, Joe, let's have a chat about Yunus Musa, shall we? Why don't we do that? (gasps) Let's do. I'd love to chat about Yunus Musa. I watched the tape of him from his first appearance for AC Milan in Serie A. That was back on August 26th in a 4-1 win for Milan. Their second game of the season. He was suspended for the first game after a red card for Valencia last year in La Liga. Comes on in the 65th minute in the second game against Torino that I just mentioned. And then didn't get off the bench this past weekend against Roma. So very much still 
trying to find his place in this Milan team, which is not a surprise, right? Milan go out and they add in two, really three, if you include Musa, starting caliber number eights in this past transfer window. That's a huge part of why I think all of us on TSS have, have been impressed by the moves that they've made in the squad that Pioli now has to work with. It's clearly a better group than it was last season. And Musa is still feeling out his role in that particular area of the field. I watched, like I said, all those all those actions from his time on the field against Torino. He looked he looked fine, right? I, I think it looked like a player that's still getting used to a new environment. It wasn't his best performance, was out muscled a few times on the ball, which is not something you really expect with Yunus Musa, not something that I'm worried about at all when it comes to his game, but was notable in this particular match. But then Taylor has one of those classic, not on the right wing, but Musa maneuvers forward, right? He picks up the ball in central midfield now, which is a huge win for him and for the U.S. men's national team that he's not always popping out on the right side and having to drive by folks as a as a wide midfielder, really. In this match, he came on for a number eight, was playing mostly in central areas, but would drift out wide as well. He picks up the ball late in this match, drives forward completely past all of Torino's midfield and lays the ball off out wide and Milan drive forward then in the final third. He's just still so good at that stuff. He looks absolutely on the pace in terms of the level of Serie A. It's not really a step up for him going from from La Liga to Serie A. I don't think that's a massive difference. But playing with higher level teammates and playing ideally in a more central role, especially as Milan have Champions League minutes, which start up later this month. I think the 19th is their first Champions League game, which is like an eye-opener for me as Champions League is coming up for us. But, I mean, Musa, you can see his quality. I have faith that he will continue to get more playing time as this year goes on. A little bit of a slow start in terms of minutes right now, but I don't think that's a huge surprise either. Yeah, memory serves. I think Milan have got Newcastle on that aforementioned date, which will be fun. Stripes for everyone. Stripes for everyone. Multi-stripes. So speaking of kits, Joe, why does he wear 80? Do we know that? I think he said he took it because that's what Ronaldinho wore for AC Milan, oh. which feels like um, maybe okay. a moment. I, I, as, as big of a, of a Yunus Musa fan as I am, that feels like maybe a moment that calls for some introspection. Like, <laughs> are there like are there really a lot of similarities between me and one of the flashiest Brazilian players of all time? Realistically, the answer to that question is probably no. But I mean, Musa, do your thing, man. You're you you got you got it. Do do it. Yep. Do it, man. Yep. Uh, well, yeah. What, what do you think, Taylor? Are there similarities beyond wearing the same squad number? No. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I, I appreciate that he's working to try to find some explanation. I think I would equally appreciate if he was like, I don't know, it's a number, man. I did at first wonder if it was maybe the thing we've seen where like a, a striker, if the number nine is already taken, will wear 90 or something like that. I wondered if it was like, well, I, I want to be the number eight, so I'll just wear 80 and then slowly reduce the... uh the numbers down, but uh, you know, or maybe he just wants to be Ronaldinho. In which case, if we see him banging shots off the crossbar with regularity and then uh, controlling them after they rebound, we'll know that that's a good connection. We will. Viral videos are plenty. Hopefully, coming Taylor. We definitely not see. edited at all either. No. Definitely a real thing that totally happened. Organic stuff. Wonderful. Uh, Joe, should we talk about Kevin Paredes um, in Mr. Berhalter's squad for this upcoming wonderful international window, which we're all a big fan of? Um, what's he been doing? in Germany. He's kind of picked up right where he left off last year, which I think is a good sign for a young player still looking to establish himself in a, in a real way in the Bundesliga. Played about 500 minutes last year. Uh, one start and something like 20 appearances off the bench. So 21, excuse me, 21 appearances off the bench last year. For a 20-year-old, still kind of getting his feet wet in the top division in Germany, getting back into where you were after the previous season doesn't feel like a bad thing. And it it certainly seems like, from what I've seen of Kevin Paredes, his ceiling could be with a much bigger role in this team. Maybe not a regular starter, but got one minute off the bench, just one minute, I guess, plus stoppage time against Heidenheim to open the Bundesliga season, then doesn't play against Köln, but then comes and plays against Hoffenheim on the left wing and then a little bit on the right side as well in a more recent match. Got a number of more minutes in that particular game, and I thought he looked good. Guys, I'm I'm starting to try to calm myself down because I can feel me getting more excited about Kevin Don't Paredes it, to the point where... Let the, let the hype go, Joe. Let oh, good. Go. I'll just say it. I, I hope we see him start at some point in this window. We talked about that a little bit on Patreon, but I, I'll really double down on that here. His fluidity on the ball, you can tell that he's somebody who's playing as a winger. You know, when you watch him, that's, that's his role, but you can tell that he's somebody that's comfortable higher up the field maybe still lacks that real incisiveness in the final third to the point where I think his ceiling very clearly is highest as a left back. He's left footed. I think that makes sense, but I don't mind that he's getting minutes higher up the field because it forces him to develop a little bit in the final third to find those clever combinations 
to find ways to get the ball off of his foot quickly as he still adjusts to the tempo of that league. I want to see him continue to get more minutes. I want to see him continue to play meaningful games for Wolfsburg this year. But he looks he looks good, guys. He looks fluid. He looks athletic. He looks quick. He looks technical. He doesn't seem overawed at this point. I think he feels like, okay, I'm I'm ready. I'm at this level. Give me some give me some more minutes. Like give me some more time. I want to play 1500 minutes this year in in all competitions for Wolfsburg. I don't know if that's going to happen under Niko Kovac, but I feel like him getting more and more involved in the U.S. setup as an option at left back is very possible, and even that could have a little bit of a, a positive impact for him at club level. Maybe he gets a few minutes in the back line as well. Nice. What do you think, Taylor? Some minutes against Oman or Uzbekistan <laughs> coming up this week, Mr. Prince? I would have, I would have no problem with that. Uh, I, we've we heard Greg Berhalter talk about how they want depth at left back, how it's been Jedi Robinson, how they want to see who else can basically deputize. It, w- it was never even like pretending to be like, oh, we want to see who can challenge him for that starting spot. It felt like it's Jedi spot until it's not, but we need more depth there. We need depth that isn't. Des can play there if he has to. Scally can play there if, if he has to. I think he wants to get some looks at people who can be dedicated left backs, even if they're playing at left wing on occasion. Uh, and I think Kevin Paredes is definitely one of those. I hope we see him. I think we talked about this a little bit yesterday. I'd like to see him start at least one of these games, or at the very least get a half in one of these games to see how good he looks. And I think the bar is always is to uh, how much he doesn't stand out in a bad way. That's the kind of... the. Uh, the, the lowest bar to clear for me when he makes uh, these appearances for the U.S. That's the bar I try and clear every day. Yeah. Not stand out in a bad way, to be <laughs> yep, honest. So exactly. If you're doing that, you're, uh, you're uh, C average. You're doing okay. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dip our noses into the mailbag. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's turn our attention to some listener questions that have been submitted digitally. Uh, Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show, by the way, is where you can access our Discord. We have a question from there from Mike Lazar. We, the Discord that is, he speaks collectively for the Discord. Yeah, yes. Speaking for everybody, yeah, it's quite impressive. So, uh, Mike Lazar, we says, <laughs> we the Discord. Are they getting sentience? I'm concerned that the Discord is now it's like its own uh, living, breathing creature. That could be a problem for us. Oh, because Mike Lazar is the name of the new chat GPT that's come out, isn't it? Uh-oh. Maybe it's, um, yeah, the, the robots are taking control. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. We the Discord aren't sure if City Football Group is getting the most or even enough out of NYCFC. Is 2023 an aberration? Or is this maybe the new normal? Joe, uh, New York are 12th in the East, only one win in the last five. You know, major market team, huge, wealthy backing, field enhanced by part of a baseball diamond. Why aren't they doing better here? Enhanced is a word that you could have used in that sentence, yes. Uh, I I think it's impossible (laughs) to argue that City Football Group have gotten the most out of NYCFC this year, or, or, or enough either, right? This club should be doing much better than they are they're still absolutely in playoff contention. Uh, The thing is, that just doesn't say anything, right? That doesn't say anything in MLS where 62% of the teams make the postseason. I think it is possible that NYCFC has been knocked lower on the City Football Group depth chart. So let's uh, let's wind back the tape. Let's rewind a bit. They were the first men's club in CFG after Manchester City. They were founded back in 2013. Then you get a club in Australia, then Japan, then Uruguay, then you get Girona in Spain, then you get China and India, then Belgium, then France and Italy, and then Brazil. So I think it's possible that as the group has expanded and added clubs in key soccer-rich countries, NYCFC is no longer getting the same type of treatment from the big brass at CFG. I mean, France, Italy, and Brazil in particular have all come in the last three years, clubs in each of those countries. So I think that says a lot about what City Football Group is trying to do. 
and maybe says that NYCFC is no longer kind of the one club outside of England and Spain, which is kind of what it felt like for a while, that they were the the way you get to those clubs, right? Yanhel Herrera comes to NYCFC, then he goes to Man City and goes to Girona, right? Tati Castellanos goes to Girona after his time with, with NYCFC. I think maybe now they've been leapfrogged a little bit, but I want to be clear, I'm not sure about that. I think it's too early to tell. And especially when you look at players like Santi Rodriguez, who came from City Football Group in Uruguay to NYCFC, it's clear that NYCFC still has a rung that is higher up than some other clubs here, right? They're not all of a sudden relegated to the bottom of this stratosphere. I think that the biggest problem this year is just the timing was all wrong. I think that NYCFC in particular was just mismanaged. They don't bring in a striker until the summer window after getting rid of Tati and Aber in the offseason. They never really replace Maxi Morales, or, or maybe that's a case of things just not going quite right. Cynthia Rodriguez doesn't grab that 10 roll with both hands. Uh, Nick Cushing leaving Talos Magno on the bench over and over again for some reason still hasn't made a lot of sense to me in preferring Matthias Pellegrini. I think there are some smaller factors that might have little to do with City Football Group as a whole. And I think there's still lots of reasons to think that NYCFC will be one of the top MLS teams moving forward. But it is, Mike, absolutely a situation to monitor, to see how players move within CFG going forward. And maybe two years from now, we'll look back at this and say, wow, like Joe's an idiot. He should have seen this coming because it is entirely possible that CFG were going to bump NYCFC a little bit lower down that pecking order. Just so I have it right, uh, the stadium is confirmed, yes? Like, land secure, they will be building, they already are building, maybe? Uh, mm, I, I, I do not know, to be honest. Maybe I should have researched that before we started. I know we've, we've been closer than we've ever been, but I'm hesitant to say that it is for sure. Yeah, I, but I think that is my feeling, and I think it, it's similar, or it's not dissimilar from the Cronkies. I think... You're not going to get relegated. Uh, they're not going to go away. They'll be competitive. They'll make the playoffs. We'll spend a little bit of money if we have to. But it does feel to me like it's a team that you can sort of put on the back burner. If you're CFG, you can focus on developing other teams and making them stronger because you do have that fear of relegation. Uh, and so you have to kind of make sure that everybody is continuing to build and grow properly. It reflects well on the brand. And I think then there's the awareness that when that stadium is built, when they're playing in New York, it, it will be a thing that will turn some heads. They'll get people in the seats. They'll probably spend a little bit more money. They'll have a splashy signing, and they're right back to where they were. And I think that is the positive, I guess, of MLS. It's also the drawback of MLS, and I think they can afford to take a couple seasons off, even if it annoys their fans and makes them really frustrated and they don't play particularly well. I think as soon as they have that stadium, as soon as they have a bit more talent in that stadium, as soon as they're, they're not playing behind baseball netting, I think people will, will have that interest. I think they'll get a lot of promotion, and I think they will be right back to being one of the leading clubs in the league or perceived as being one of the leading clubs in the league is maybe a more fair way to put it. It's, it's inarguable that the stadium, which, which is scheduled to be ready by 2027, according to the internet, so that is going to be a big boost for this team. It's inarguable that that stadium is going to help NYCFC become a big boy soccer club, right? That is going to help transform them into something that feels real and less temporary and, and sort of just popped up in the middle of New York City at Yankee Stadium than they do right now. I, I don't think, though, really that CFG care about that a whole lot, I'll be honest. I think City Football Group exists to develop talent, right? You think about how they've gone about producing clubs and, and developing talent in the past and continuing to add more clubs. It's about getting their fingers in as many pots as possible to leverage transfer fees and, and ultimately to make Manchester City into this monster and continue to establish their brand as a result in other countries as well. Maybe I'm underselling the impact that a, a club in New York City can have here, but I think for, for City Football Group, NYCFC's biggest purpose is a rung in the ladder. And maybe I'm wrong about that, or I'm happy to be wrong. I think they're a rung in the ladder to get players to better and better spots to generate transfer fees to develop along the way. So I think maybe less important than the stadium is NYCFC figuring out exactly where they fit in that particular ladder. And that is going to help this club move forward with a clear direction. I don't know exactly how much the stadium is going to impact that. I think for me, it's the idea that they got it done. And the Red Bulls couldn't do that. They're playing in New Jersey. The Cosmos couldn't do that. They had to play in a bunch of different college stadiums. I think a number of different teams haven't been able to build or finance or, or find the ground or whatever it is to have a stadium to have a team in New York. 
And I do think there is some statement to that. There is some permanence to that. There is some standing to that, that they were able to do it. They were able to weather the many, many years to get it done, to make it happen. And so that is one where I feel like even if it's not helping Manchester City, even if it's not helping develop players, it is a status symbol of sorts that you have a headquarters in New York City. I think that does sort of move up the estimations a little bit. It, it feels like they did a thing that no one else could. It, it is sort of vaguely similar to what like Beckham is trying to do in Miami and has been trying to do. It's when you get that stadium in Miami, it feels like, oh, they achieved that thing that they set out to do, but haven't yet done. I think that goes for NYCFC, but also a lot of other teams who tried to have professional franchises in New York. If they can do it and then keep it going, I do think that that is itself sort of a status symbol. All right, thank you very much. The Discord for that question. Uh, we go now to one from Homer Hawkins. We had a similar question from uh, our friend Shreyas as well on this topic. Uh, Homer says, in the past two to three years, there have been a lot of Americans who left for Europe. Overall, it seems like they haven't fared well so far, though. Should we be at all concerned about that? Joe, um, Homer hasn't named any names, but there's you know a few examples of that, right? There are, absolutely. I think, though, and Taylor, I'm curious to hear what you have to say on this. I don't really agree with the premise of the question. I guess there have been a lot of players that have gone and missed, but that's that's normal. I think for every player that's gone and missed, you can make an argument that there's another player that's gone and is in a really promising or at least stable spot as a professional soccer player. So some moves that certainly have not worked out great, given our, our past hopes for some of these players over the last couple of seasons, George Bello, going to Armenia Bielefeld in, in Germany, has not worked out. He's now in Austria, and it felt like his career had taken a pretty big dip even before he left Major League Soccer. Gianluca Busio and, and Tanner Tessman both seem stuck in Serie B purgatory. Maybe that's wrong. Again, all these players are still young in the grand scheme of things. Daryl DK felt like it was going to be very promising, but injuries have kind of wrecked that. Less so his on-field ability. Brian Reynolds, uh, that move to Roma certainly didn't work, and then stints in Belgium and other spots have not really gone well for him. And Sam Vines feels kind of stuck in, in purgatory in Belgium to me, even though they're going to have some European competition with Royal Antwerp this season. But for those, and there's probably a, a handful of others that I missed, you have Brendan Aronson going to RB Salzburg, then Leeds, and now at a very high level in the Bundesliga, even if... I don't love that career trajectory for him and his development. You can't argue that he's played at big clubs and that, that his European career has been a success at this point, at least relative to the rest of this pool. He's been a hit. Paxton Aronson getting real minutes with Eintracht Frankfurt, grabbing an assist recently. That's been a hit. Mark McKenzie becoming a, a regular starter for Genk. That's been a hit relative to a lot of others. Ricardo Pepe has found a nice home with PSV. That is a good spot, hopefully, for him to develop. Joe Scali is an every-game starter and with Gladbach. Gagas Lanina has gone from Chelsea to loan on Belgium, which is perfect for him. Austin Trusty was a big signing for a Premier League team that's probably going to get relegated, but was good in the championship last year and will probably be back there before too long. Matt Turner has been a big hit moving from the Revs, and Kevin Paredes is somebody that I just talked about. I think it's a pretty even race. Not that these guys are necessarily going to turn into Pulisic or Adams or Reyna or McKenney, but a, a couple of them could, right? Paxton Aronson could. Ricardo Pepe is already looking like a big-time national team contributor. Same with Scali in a slightly different role. Gagas Lanina, Matt Turner is a starter. Kevin Paredes is a player that I'm getting more and more excited about. I think that this is a pretty normal pattern for a lot of these guys. I looked back at, at the 2019 U20 World Cup team for the U.S., and, and even with that, you see a, a pretty even split. You get you know, Tim Weah and Mark McKenzie that really make it in Europe. And then for every one of those guys, you get a Richie Ledesma, who tried it with PSV, now is back with NYCFC. You get a Chris Gloucester, who tried it in Europe, then came back to the U.S. Chris mm -hmm. Durkin did the same thing. C.J. Dos Santos in goal, a player that I'm guessing most folks out there don't even remember, right? Is now in Major League Soccer as a reserve goalkeeper. This is just kind of the reality of, of professional sports. You get chewed up. Sometimes you make it through. Sometimes you get spit back out. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. I think it is that we, we basically have more players going because there are more avenues for those players to make the jump. And some of them work and some of them don't. Uh, and I think a lot of it just ends up being the hype that we put on them and how unfair maybe our expectations are of those players. Uliana is, is a prime example of that. Daryl and I talked about him as being the next big thing and so hyped for him. And he spent the last two seasons in the Austrian second division where he scored goals and got assists, but I don't think that's quite the level that we expected of him. But I think 
that is how it's going to go, that you're going to have players go abroad. They're going to play at different levels, and I think that's good. The pipelines remain open. We continue to have players challenging themselves and trying to develop and trying to keep moving up that ladder, but we're also going to have players stumble along the way. I think from a player perspective, what I feel like we've learned is that it's really important to investigate where that first move is going to be because I think that first move, if it's moving to a sensible club who have a plan for how to develop you even if it's a huge club who have a plan for how to develop you you're not going to play for the first team for a really long time you're going to be in the academy so we can properly gauge where you need to work we're going to give you one year to work on those skills then we're going to loan you out and we're going to see how that loan goes like I, I think there is still a plan there but I think so often we see players make moves that it's sort of oh never mind you're no longer the thing that fits right now we can afford to not play you we'll loan you out at some point Ricardo Pepe is a prime example of that to me and and I, I take your point Joe that is still playing in Europe. He goes on loan. Now he's made another move. And, and now he's with a strong team in the Netherlands. I don't think this was the trajectory we were hoping for. I think we had hoped it would be hits the ground running, scores a bunch of goals, maybe gets a move to an even bigger Bundesliga club based off of that initial go with Augsburg. And that hasn't been the case. But that doesn't mean it's been a failure. It just means that we have to adapt those expectations a little bit. But I think players if they can be a little bit more patient and a little bit more thought out in some of their moves. Sebastian Soto's career has never really made sense to me because it felt like he tried to make too big of jumps too quickly for teams that weren't themselves stable, Norwich being a prime example of that. Moving to a club who are in the relegation zone, who are going to be fighting relegation if they're in that top flight every single season, means that unless you are, again, hitting the ground running, scoring goals, a key contributor to that team... They're not going to have the luxury of experimenting and and trying new things and trying to find ways to get you in. That's very much a, we'll deal with that situation down the road. But if you're an 18, 19, 20-year-old who's trying to make that leap, down the road doesn't really work as well. And and certainly doesn't work if it's, oh, yeah, we're not going to play you this season. Sorry. Uh, We'll look at loans next season. We're not sure where. Like, it's just there's much less of a plan there. And I think... We did have players making those moves in hopes that they came off without much as much of a plan, at least from my perspective. I don't know how much that's changed, but I think a lot of those players listed there are players that sort of tried to make that jump and didn't necessarily succeed. I would say some of them haven't necessarily failed either, but I think it is kind of what we're going to get as we can continue to develop talent is some players make that leap and come good and are key performers for their teams. But even somebody like Christian Pulisic seems to make that leap and then gets the giant transfer to Chelsea and then moves for a much smaller amount to AC Milan this season. Like that in of itself is sort of a downturn in his fortunes. But at the same time, it leaves him in a better position to get more minutes and play well. So I think it, it, it is just sort of the way it's going to be that some players will, will come good and make those jumps and some players won't. And and that's why we we watch the game and why it's fun to then see Richie Ledesma playing in Major League Soccer. I think some of these guys could definitely do with a move back to that other yeah, point agreed. of the question. Reggie Cannon is a chief example of that, who basically terminates his contracts, uh, says he wasn't being paid regularly. I think he said in the three years he played in Portugal, he was only paid on time once. Uh, Boavista uh, have refuted that claim, said they're going to challenge it in court, but notably have not done that. So he is still... He's a he's a free agent, uh, and I think last I saw was having a trial with West Brom, but nothing ended up happening there. I feel like he's a guy who should come back to Major League Soccer and start playing, and maybe that's it. Maybe he doesn't make another move to Europe. He's 25 at this point, but I think just for his own career, not from a USMNT perspective or anything like yeah. that, there are certain players that I think, yeah, MLS is there to go back, get your footing, and... In some ways, strange as it may sound, it's not dissimilar from Serginho Dest going back to the Netherlands. It's where he started. Why not go back there, get comfortable in a situation that you have at least some familiarity with, and then see what comes next? I think it's just that matter of perspective that makes it sort of confusing. But I think for Cannon, maybe for Justin Shea, uh, who who knows? Although I think he just made a move permanent and then got yes, a loan off did. of that one. So who knows? Uh, but I think there are players who could definitely do with some time or more time in Major League Soccer. What Taylor and I are saying, and Ryan as well, because he's here with us, is Alex Mendes to the Colorado Rapids. Boom, full circle, nailed it. What is he? Is he still employed? I know he's with Vizela. Zero appearances is not the number that I wanted to see next to his appearances when it came to his name. Yeah, things have stalled. Uh, yeah. It feels like it's time for something to happen. Uh, that's not going to happen until <laughs> the January window at the latest. At this point, you'd have to imagine. But I would not hate him finding his way back to the yeah. United States. 
All right, same could be said for myself. Anyway, let's hey. get to one final question here. Madler09 has asked if you can pick one player to make the leap this season to give us a better chance at the Copper America next summer. Who would it be and why? Joseph Lowry, who are you picking for this one? I want to hear, Ryan, your answer for England. Just substitute Copa America for Euro. So you have to think on that while Taylor and I go and do ours. Okay. Uh, my answer, it took me a minute to think. I was having a really hard time figuring out one. Can, and then it, can I ask you yeah, a question, go ahead, Taylor? Taylor? Yeah. Why were you having a hard time? I had, I had a hard time with this as well. And it was about sort of understanding the question, basically. No, the, the question made sense to me. The way I, I thought about it is just like level up any player. Like okay. I, maybe that's not exactly that. what's meant. No, I just thought what, like if I could turn I, Christian yeah. Pulisic into, into like – yeah. An elite, a truly elite winger, or Matt Turner into like the best goalkeeper on the. Pl- I mean, who are we kidding? He already is, right? But you get the idea. Mm. I went with a player that has not yet made really any leap in their career after hitting the professional level, with the idea being you just add more quality and more depth. So, right? So instead of turning Christian Pulisic into like super Christian Pulisic, I wanted to create another Christian Pulisic. That was my thought, and thinking maybe that helps the US team a little bit more. My answer that I eventually landed on now, it feels so obvious to me, but it was tough is Cade Cowell. Physically, all the tools are there. Technically, and in the final third, they're very much not. But if those things come, I'm not optimistic at this point, but in this world from Madler 09, it's going to happen. If the technical ability comes, he's the best winger in the pool by a mile. And he is like a Champions League starter every single year and scoring you know, 15 goals in a, a top European league. I want that to go with Christian Pulisic and Weya and Reyna. That attack all of a sudden gets real, real scary. It's really strange to say about a 19-year-old, but it does feel like a January move is a necessary thing. Maybe it's next summer, maybe it's next January, but I hear exactly what you're saying, Joe, that he's a player who has all the physical attributes there to be that next-level player. I think it's developing his vision, his like information processing, the speed at which he can play, and the technical control on top of that. All of that w- would sort of make him make that leap, and I would love to see him do it. So I hope he gets a move. I hope he continues to to develop in that way so that he is challenging Pulisic and Reyna and Wea uh, down the road. Where I struggled with this one is, is what you got to, Joe, which is basically, are we talking about players like, who's the player who hasn't made that move yet? Who's the 19-year-old who's still in Major League Soccer, or the 21-year-old who's still in Major League Soccer who needs to kind of level up? Or are we talking about a player who has sort of already reached that level and then needs to kick on to even greater things? And that's where I landed. I didn't go with Pulisic. I was going to go with CCV, but his hamstring injury has him out for the next two months, which means a, a January move or a move to a bigger club where he's doing uh, bigger and better things seems unlikely to me. I'm not sure if Musa and Balogun have already sort of made that leap because like for Balogun to go play for Monaco, score a bunch of goals, qualify for the Champions League, that feels like a developmental uh, increase as well. But my answer in the end is Chris Richards. That's the one that I want to make that leap. That's the one where if we have Chris Richards as a starting every single game, reliable Premier League center back, I have to believe that he then goes into that Copa America squad and makes that defense better. And that defense is the thing that when you look at it on paper, at least, is the thing that needs to be strengthened. I think the midfield, we have the MMA midfield, but then we have other options that can go in there if somebody is injured. Uh, even with Tyler, Tyler Adams not being able to play, I think Yunus Musa has shown that he can, he can do that job somewhat reliably, and I think maybe that means we play a different formation if we need to, but we have depth there. We have certainly depth uh, in the attack. We now have Balogun as that number nine with players still kind of challenging him along the way. But in defense, it feels like it'll be Jedi on one side, Dest on the other, and then center back is a, like, is it Zimmerman? It, who else could be in there? Is it still Tim Ream? Who knows? And I feel like if Chris Richards can make that jump to being an every game starter who then is developing his game all the more and getting stronger and just getting more veteran wisdom, I think that only makes the U.S. better. And so that would be the jump I would most like to see. All right. Uh, Joe, you're going to make me answer that for England now, aren't you? I am. Uh, yes, that's correct. I'm really struggling, to be honest. I think some You can say Eunice she- Musa. That counts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> memories. I think um, Eberichi Eze is one I'd like to see get more national team minutes. I think as, as more depth in attack would be good. I'd like to see Phil Foden play every game or like you know be a guaranteed starter. I think that would be good for for the England team. Maybe Levy Colwell at Chelsea to 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 take a leap. Only you know he's already getting regular minutes for Chelsea. Make sure that he is a centre back starter over maybe someone else that maybe plays at Man United to, you know, 
get some more fortitude in the England back line. Maybe that's my answer, Colville, then, I think. That feels good. Uh, it, it is It is yeah. much harder with a team like England when, realistically, you can turn up and win any national team tournament that you want to. Not that it's it's the odds on favorite, necessarily, but mm. there's not, like, a lot that you really have to, to wish for. I think it is harder to answer that from your shoes. But, Ryan, I, I like your answers. Thank you. Yeah. Must be nice to be able to turn up and just uh, grab a trophy if you feel like it, Joe. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, the CONCACAF Nations League is 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 cool, right? Guys? Yeah. Guys? Yeah, yeah. yeah why not? Why not? Guys? <laughs> right. That feels like a good jumping off point for this podcast. Uh, Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for joining us on this intrepid adventure. We appreciate your insight. Uh, for my pleasure, my friend. And Joe Lowry, same thing to you, my friend. Tour mine as well as we've been transported back 500 years into the past. Tour Ah, oh, twerd indeed. Listener, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.